morning. Doing good? Awesome. Well, we continue in uh, our uh, series here on uh, You Be the Judge, right? And uh, what we've been doing each week is uh, looking at one of the judges and trying to understand from uh, their life, from their experience, how that can translate into, uh, into our life. And remember, kind of the key for us is uh, from Hebrews uh, 11, where it talks about uh, the faith of these folks. It says, faith makes us sure of what we hope for and gives us proof of what we cannot see. It was their faith that made our ancestors pleasing to God. And so we've looked at a couple judges so far. We've looked at the faith that they've expressed and then tried to understand, you know, okay, as we look at those folks, how can we take their experience, their faith, and bring that into our lives so we can be the same kind of people, so we can be those people who really stand up in our time to make a difference uh, for, for Christ and His church. And so, so far, we've looked at Jephthah. Remember him? Haven't forgotten him, have you? This where you say, no, Pastor, I think of him every day. Yes, I wake up in the morning and say, Jephthah, what a guy. Yeah, okay. Or uh, Barak. Remember Barak and Deborah? And all the ladies say, yes, I remember Deborah. Absolutely, you go girl stuff, right? You bet. Uh, so we looked at Jephthah. We looked at uh, Barak. And both of those folks were on that Hebrews 11 list of these incredible people uh, of faith. But this morning, I want to take you off the list because they're not the only people who, uh, who expressed incredible faith during that time of the judges. And I want to take you to one of those judges that uh, you probably have never heard of before. You may have remembered him. His name was mentioned, I believe, last week, but you, you don't know his story. So today, I want to take you to look at the judge, at the experience of this guy named Ehud. Anybody in the house ever heard of Ehud? I didn't think so. Now, what's amazing about that, and the reason we should look at Ehud, is, well, he doesn't make the Hebrews 11 list, but Ehud does an incredible thing in the life of Israel. Remember, during that time of the judges, the tribes were kind of this loose confederacy of, of God's people, just kind of loose confederacy of tribes. And what was supposed to be that thing that would bind them together was their common faith. You know, what was supposed to bind them together was simply their identity of being God's people. And yet we know that just didn't always happen, that sin came into our life and, and it just didn't always happen. And so God raised up a judge that would bring them back to faith in God and keep them united for at least a while, right? Ehud is this incredible guy who kept these people, God's people, together and united for 80 years. It says in Judges 3, Moab was so badly defeated that it was a long time before they were strong enough to attack Israel again. And Israel was at peace for 80 years. Under Ehud, as the judge of Israel, he gave Israel the longest period where they actually lived in faith, where they lived in a right relationship with God. After he died... That fell apart again. And we know that's the cycle, remember? And so it was for Ehud. Before he was tapped to be a judge, the people of God had fallen away. If we go into that Judges 3, and that's where the experience is recorded, it says in verse 12, once more the Israelites started disobeying the Lord. What are they doing? Not what God wants, right? 
And so they're starting to withdraw in their relationship from God. And we've learned the principle here. When you start withdrawing and disobeying God, when you start putting distance between you and God, you create the opportunity for something else to take control of your life. So it is with Israel. Once more, the Israelites started disobeying the Lord. So he let them be defeated by King Eglon of Moab, who had joined forces with the Ammonites and the Amalekites to attack Israel. Eglon and his army captured Jericho. Then he ruled Israel for 18 years and forced the Israelites to pay heavy taxes. What's going on? Just what we've been talking about. They started disobeying God, and so they put distance between them and God. God's favor became distant as well, and it gave the opportunity for another power to come in and take over their life. And when that power came in, it came in and it brought oppression for 18 years. It didn't change until in verse 15 it says, The Israelites begged the Lord for help. What happened? They realized their distance. They realized the oppression that they're under. They realized they've fallen out of favor. They realize it's because they've moved themselves away from God. And so they come to the Lord humbly and they beg, God, get back in our life. God, get back. Take control of our life again. And God responds. It says, And the Lord chose Ehud from the Benjamin tribe to rescue them. Now I want you to remember that. Notice, who's doing the choosing here? The Lord is, right? The Lord decides out of all the people in Israel, out of all the folks, out of all the tribes, He's choosing Ehud to be the one who brings rescue to His people. Why Ehud? Let's unpack what Ehud does in order to be that person that God wants him to be. God chooses him because God knows what Ehud can accomplish. Let's start learning. You ready? First thing we can observe about Ehud is that he put himself, and you need to put yourself, in a position to be used by God. That is, you need to be ready to stand up to sin that's crept into your life. Where do we see it in the text? Here's where it comes from. They put Ehud in charge of taking the taxes to King Eglon. But before Ehud went, he made a double-edged dagger. What's going on? You see, all the people of Israel, they were willing to go along with the program. They were willing to go along with the status quo of the time. They were willing to go along with the oppression that King Eglon was bringing into their life. And so they chose Ehud and said, Go take him his taxes. They said, keep it going. They said, just keep the status quo. Ehud, you just go pay the taxes. We'll just keep life just the way it is. But what does Ehud do? Ehud decides it is more important for him to live faithful to God. And so he begins to make a double-edged dagger. Ehud decides. Now, this is not a conspiracy plot. He doesn't bring a whole bunch of people into a secret meeting. Who's the only one involved here? Ehud. Who's the only one making the decision to be faithful to God first? Ehud. You see what Ehud's doing? He's saying, look, 
people of Israel, you have moved yourself away from God, and I'm not going to do that. I'm going to decide in my life that I've been away from God enough, and I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to stand up to this sin that's taken over our land here. I'm going to stand up to this king that's standing in the way of us and a right relationship with God, and I'm going to take action. Ehud understands. You need to understand. One of the things you can learn this morning from Ehud is to be able to stand up to those things that are separating you from God and His favor. You need to be able to honestly look at your life and understand, identify, and be ready to stand up and cast out of your life whatever it is that may have control of it that's not God. The New Testament encourages us to do that. Colossians 2 says, You have accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord. Now keep on following who? Him. Doesn't say follow Eglon. Doesn't say make room for something else in your life. Just follow this a little bit and God a little bit too. It says, no, look, you've decided to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. Then let Him be the Lord of your life. And if there's anything in the way, get rid of it. Keep on following Him. Plant your roots in Christ. Let Him be the foundation of your life. Be strong in your faith just as you were taught. And be grateful. Don't let anyone fool you by using senseless arguments. These arguments may sound wise, but they are only human teachings. They come from the powers of this world and not from Christ. God lives fully in Christ. And you are fully grown because you belong to Christ who is over every power and authority. See, that's what Ehud understands. Ehud understands Eglon is in the way. He is getting between God and his people. He is a sin that needs to be removed. You need to put yourself in a position where God can bring favor back into your life by being honest and looking at your life and saying, What's wrong? What is, what is wrong in my life that's keeping me from being in that right relationship with Christ? What, what else is in my life? What other thing is taking control of my life that I just need to stand up to in this moment and not tolerate it anymore? Maybe it's doing stuff on the Internet that you shouldn't be doing. Maybe it's saying things to people that are hurtful and mean that you just need to clean your mouth up. And maybe it's something even more significant, something that has control of you that you need to learn from Ehud today. Start making the dagger. Start making the dagger and be able to get it out of your life. Be able to recognize it, stand up to it, and take the action that says, I will not allow this to get in the way between me and Jesus Christ. The other thing Ehud does is he stands up now. He starts fashioning that dagger. He stands up uh, to Eglon, and he understands, he understands that he has the talents and the gifts to be able to do what God's calling him to do. Let me show you in the text. It says, Ehud was left-handed. Yeah, that's this one, right? Okay, left-handed. 
Ehud was left-handed, so he strapped the dagger to his right thigh, this one, where it would be hidden from his robes. Now he says, what's the big deal about that? Well, here's what you need to understand. In Ehud's day, it was a definitely right-handed world. It was a right-handed world. To be left-handed was to be handicapped. You see, for Ehud, because he was left-handed, others looked at him and viewed him as a handicapped individual, as a lesser person. There is hints, by the way, in the text, the way the words are, are, are used and the, the choice of words here, that it may even be more than he was just left-handed. It may be that he was equally handicapped with his right hand, that his right hand was somehow withered and useless. When people looked at Ehud in his culture, they looked at him and said, there is less of a man. They looked at him and said, insignificant. They looked at him and said, worthless. And yet it is precisely the weakness that the world identifies in Ehud. It's that weakness that allows Ehud to accomplish the task God has chosen him for. Here's how it works. He was in a right-handed world. He fashioned a little dagger. He was left-handed. Hence, he put the dagger on his right side so that he could draw it. Get it? If you're in a right-handed world, where is the dagger usually put? On your left side. That would be on left side, right? We're not right-left deficient here, are we? Okay, so it would be over here because you go over here and you pull it out here, right? Okay, you're the secret service for King Eglon, and, uh, well, you know, maybe you get a little lazy once in a while, but you're the secret service, and, of course, you've got to check people out before they come in, and it was before that time of metal detectors and all those things. So all you did was you checked them out to make sure they didn't have any weapons on them. And in a right-handed world where everybody always put the dagger on their left side, which side did you check? The left side which means precisely because Ehud was left-handed, he was the one who could do the task to rid Israel of this power that was keeping them from God. This person that everybody else looked at as weak, as worthless, as less of a man, is precisely the one that has the gifts and the talents to accomplish this task. Now, it gets even more interesting. Remember, I told you to put kind of on the shelf this, this verse about God chose Ehud, right? Let's pull it out again. It says, The Israelites begged the Lord for help, and the Lord chose Ehud from what tribe? Benjamin's tribe. Here's what you need to know. Benjamin's tribe? Benjamin's tribe? Bam! Benjamin's tribe, it is the littlest of the tribes. It is the most insignificant of the tribes. It is the smallest, weakest of all the tribes of Israel. And God chooses Ehud from Benjamin's tribe. Yet if we go to Judges 20, we hear some more information about Benjamin's tribe. It says, the Benjamin tribe, see it? The Benjamin tribe 
had 26,000 soldiers, not counting the 700 who, will, who were Gibeah's best warriors. In this army, there were 700, what? Left-handed experts. Now, guys, if you're into this whole, you know, shooting thing or whatever, notice experts, how they define experts here. Who could sling a rock at a target the size of a hair and hit it every time. How good are they with their left hand? Awesome good. <laughs> cool? Yeah. How many of us are happy if we can get a three-inch group at 100 yards, right? You see, God chose Ehud because he was exactly the right person with all the gifts that God needed to accomplish this task. And when God looked at Ehud, he didn't see worthless. He didn't see less of a man. He didn't see anything withered. He looked at Ehud and saw what Ehud could accomplish. And you need to do the same. You need to do the same. You see, those places in your life where you look at yourself and you see yourself as less of a person, those places in your life where you look at yourself and you say, worthless, those places in your life where you look at yourself and you say, I could never, it can't possibly, you see, those may be precisely the places that God looks at you and sees everything you can do. That God looks at you and sees everything you can become. That God looks at you in precisely those places and sees the incredible things that you can be about for Him. Again, Paul reminds us of that in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, My dear friends, remember what you were when God chose you. The people of this world didn't think that many of you were wise. Only a few of you were in places of power. And not many of you came from important families. But God chose the foolish things of this world to put the wise to shame. He chose the weak things of this world to put the powerful to shame. What the world thinks is worthless, useless, and nothing at all is what God uses to destroy what the world considers important. You need to look at your life and get rid of those things that stand between you and God. Face whatever it is and start making that dagger. And to look at your life and look at you and see that you are exactly what God formed and fashioned, that He put in you everything you need to be an incredible person for Jesus Christ. You just have to see it and believe it. Let me give you a modern-day example of that. Uh, some of you may know the singer Ginny uh, Owens. Heard some of her stuff? Yeah, awesome uh, person. Uh, you guys got the video back there, I hope, by the way. Oh, yeah, they're looking at me like, what? <laughs> yeah, they're saying, yeah, they got it, sure. They're loading it up right now, I think. Uh, but awesome, awesome young woman of God. Um, what you may not know about Ginny Owens is uh, she was born blind. She was born with that limitation uh, in her life. And she could have looked at her life and she could have seen everything that uh, 
was wrong with her life. She could have seen that as a weakness that could keep her from doing anything great at all. And yet she chose to see that weakness as an opportunity uh, for God. She even says, and if you read the jacket of one of her covers, she says one of the, one of the things she's learned about being a blind is that one of the great things is the first face she'll ever see is Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? What other people see as a weakness, she sees as an opportunity. You guys have the video? You ready with it? Yep, why don't you go ahead and show it. There were lots of times when I felt like I didn't fit in. I especially found um, in high school that fitting in at youth group was really hard. It seemed like all of the kids that were alike clustered together and then all of the rest of us were kind of on the outskirts. And so that was very hard and, and very lonely. I would kind of try to react to that with a very extreme behavior of just trying so hard with everybody and working so hard to please people and make people happy. And there were lots of days that my mom would remind me, she'd say, you know, there, there's just going to be times in life um, for you and, and for all of us when, when Jesus is our only friend. And you need to remember that and you need to embrace it. I learned how to play the piano by ear. Uh, when I was two, I started um, pounding around on it and finding how, how to play different uh, songs that I knew from church and different nursery rhymes. And I began taking piano lessons when I was about four or five and uh, somehow stuck with those all the way through high school and even college. I moved to Tennessee, uh, to Nashville to go to college there and really kind of intended to uh, to teach music uh, to high school students. I have no words to uh, well, I graduated from college and I began looking for a job as a teacher. And there was lots of rejection and lots of people said, um, you know, if you can't see, then how in the world can you teach students? It was a very discouraging time of just going, okay, Lord, did I mess up? Did I measure in the wrong thing? Did, you know, did I do something to make you mad? And so you have me out here in this desert wandering around. And as I was searching for a job, I also uh, had begun working with a music publisher in town who, um, who had discovered my music uh, through a friend at church. And uh, as I continued to write music, my publisher friend began to take my music to different record companies in town. Ultimately, he took it to Michael W. Smith and the folks over at Rocket Town Records. It was kind of surreal to have a CD released. You know, it's very unlike anything I've really ever dreamed of or, or anything that I thought was practical or made any sense that would ever happen to me. So um, it was very, very surprising. And there's more to life than, than trying to hide the things that are wrong with us. But um, God tells us that we can go to Him in the pieces that we're in. Uh, with the flaws that we have or the embarrassing things that we have that we don't like about ourselves. We can take all of those things to Him. He weaves those things um, in with His grace and makes just a beautiful story. Wow, huh? Isn't that awesome? See, she could have stayed in her weakness. Instead, she chose to let God make it her strengths. When you face that sin, you drive it out. Understand, God never gives up on you, and He has something more in store for you. Uh, and it may even be something that you look at and say is a weakness. 
Next thing to learn from Ehud is that as we keep growing then, as we try to become what God wants us to become, we've got to be ready to act when God reveals the opportunity for us. Um, now, Ehud has this faith. He's, he's you know, developed a plan. Uh, he's ready to move forward, but he has to put the plan in action. And, and so often this is a hard sp- a spot for us, is that we know what God wants us to do. We, we know we've got to stand up to this, this you know, sin in our life, keeping us from We know you've got to do it, right? You've got to do it. Ehud comes to that place knowing it will, he risks his life, and yet he puts his plan into action. Now we've got some young people in the room. So, uh, and, you know, the Bible's always very graphic. It never hides anything. So it's not the most pleasant of images uh, here. Uh, so you can kind of read the story, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gloss real fast over some things. Um, anyway, Ehud had some other uh, uh, Israelites. They took the taxes to Eglon, who, are, who he's a very fat man. As soon as they gave the taxes to Eglon, Ehud said it was time to go home. Ehud went with the other Israelites as far as the statues of Gilgal. Then he turned back, went upstairs to the cool room where Eglon had his throne. Ehud said, Your Majesty, I need to talk to you in private. Eglon said, Oh, don't say anything yet. His officials left the room and Eglon stood up as Ehud came closer. Yes, Ehud said, I have a message for you from God. Ehud pulled out the dagger with his left hand and shoved it as far into Eglon's stomach uh, as he possibly could. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. What's he doing? Well, you know, we may receive this, obviously, as an act of violence. You know, I mean, we're, God's not calling us to be assassins. But in Ehud's time, he was taking the action that the opportunity was presenting itself, and so he was seizing the moment, and he was taking that action. He was taking the action to make sure that God's people got back in a right relationship with him. You see, you need to make a plan. You need to make a plan and you need to be willing to act on what God wants you to do. So ask yourself today as you're thinking about this morning's meshing, as you're working through the scripture this morning and reading what he who did, you know, ask you, what, what is it God wants you to not just hear this morning? What was it God wants you to really act upon? You know, what is it God doesn't want you just to think about this morning, that thing you ought to get out of your life, or think about, uh, you know, that weakness that you look on that he could see as a strength, but what is it you just really need to act upon? And as you're doing that action, follow in Ehud's footsteps, because the next thing he does after he gets rid of Eglon the king is that he brings others into this experience, and in the process he gives God the glory. It says in verse 26, But by that time, Ehud had already escaped past the statues. Ehud went to the town of Sierra in the hill country of Ephraim, and he started blowing a signal on a trumpet. And the Israelites came together, and he shouted, Follow me! The Lord will help us defeat the Moabites. Notice what he does? He invites other people now into that faithfulness. And who does he give the credit? Not himself. He says, Look, follow me! But the Lord's going to do the work. You see, that's what you need to do as well. If you learn from Ehud this morning and you take that action, is you invite other people. Invite other people. Who is it in your life 
that you need to stop just thinking about reaching out to for Christ? Who is it in your work environment that, that's struggling, that needs to stand up and, and be able to face some things in their life? Who is it that somehow in your family that's distant from God, that the whole family just keeps kind of ignoring it? Who is it in your life that God is saying to you this morning, look, you need to invite them. You need to invite them into this process of becoming everything God wants them to become. And you need to tell them that the Lord can do it. The Lord can do it. You see, Ehud started this process as simply one person. One person in a whole nation who decided to make a difference. And he stood up and he acted faithfully. It says the Israelites followed Ehud down to the Jordan Valley and they captured the places where the people crossed the river on the way to Moab. They would not let anyone go across. Before the fighting was over, they killed about 10,000 Moabite warriors. Not one of them escaped alive. And then comes the verse where we started. Moab was so badly defeated that it was a long time before they were strong enough to attack Israel again. And Israel was at peace for 80 years. Learn from Ehud today. And know that I absolutely believe this. I believe that in this room this morning, no matter how you feel your weaknesses are, no matter what division there is that's working in your life, that's keeping you from the complete favor of God, I absolutely believe that we have everything in this room we need to do incredible things for God and change this world. It's right here. God provides it for us. Remember, the Lord is going to win the battle. And I want to invite you this morning, follow me, follow what we're doing here. You see, it's not just about building a building up the road. It's that I believe that God has brought together here everything we need to make an incredible stand for God. I just met with some folks who are interested in, in uh, becoming part of Christ Church this morning. And one of the things I shared for them is that, uh, you know, what we stand for is in our name. What we stand for here is in our name. You see, we're all about Christ. Why are we all about Christ? Because we know. We know He is the answer. He is the strength. He is the one that empowers us to be everything that God wants us to be. And we just need to be willing to take the action to humble ourselves and just like those Israelites, just beg Him to be the Lord of our life. Let's pray this morning. Father, we come before you. We ask that uh, you would help us to uh, continue to grow, continue to learn from people like Ehud, this person that you put your hand upon and, and raised up in that time period when uh, your people were uh, just following paths of, of uh, unholiness and walking further away from you. And this morning we ask that... Uh, whatever might be in our lives that's uh, keeping us away from you and, and growing even closer and knowing your favor even more, just give us the ability to see it, to stand up to it. Give us the strength to act and be able to cast it out of our life. Help us to see not our weaknesses, to beat our, but to see our strength in you and to know that through you, through you, we can defeat it and we can follow you and live to your glory. Surround us with the right people. Bring them into our lives to give us the strength to do this. And surround us with those people that we need to reach out to because we can see their own struggle. 
and know that you're the only answer. Father, we thank you for Ehud, and we pray this morning, choose us. Choose us. In Jesus' name, amen.